You are listening to episode 75 of the Tennis Files podcast, question and answer edition with Mirbon. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you improve your tennis game. And today I'm switching up the format a bit and I'm doing a question and answer session. And so when people join my newsletter, the first question that I ask them is, what is the biggest challenge that you have that's hindering you from improving your tennis game? And I've gotten, I think, thousands of answers at this point. And it's really interesting to look through them, look through all the questions. And so for today, I've picked out uh, seven excellent questions from my subscribers, and I've decided to answer them on the podcast. And I hope and I'm pretty sure that these questions and answers will help you improve your game one way or another. And so I'll just dive right into it. The first question is from Dennis, a 4-0 player. And some of these questions are from a while back. So uh, in many cases, I've answered the individual uh, via email, but I'm repeating this question on the podcast because I think it's a great question. So uh, Dennis, a 4-0 player, he asks footwork, or he, he says that his biggest challenge is footwork. Being able to anticipate and intercept where the ball will be in order to be in the best possible position to strike the ball, to perform the best possible shot, and increase success in winning the point. So that's a great question. Footwork is one of the the biggest keys to the game. I think I mentioned on episode 73 about one of the biggest um, keys to improving your game. Uh, I forget who exactly mentioned this as the tip, but it was about footwork. And so firstly, with footwork, Footwork, there's a few different footwork techniques depending on how far away the ball is and what type of ball you want to hit. But I want to focus more on the anticipation part of this question. It'll be much easier to understand and, and answer this this part of the question. Because for the technique part, you know, there's obviously many different moves, many different types of uh, ways to move to the ball. Um, so as far as anticipation, so in order to anticipate, you have to pay attention to the ball on the other side of the net and also pay attention to your opponent and their tendencies. For example, 17-time Grand Slam champion Gigi Fernandez, when I asked her for a key tip to improve our tennis games, she said that watching the ball on your opponent's side of the net is one of the most important and helpful things that you can do. Because if you watch the ball on the other side of the net, you're going to be able to reach and pick off a lot of balls, especially if you're playing doubles, if you pay attention to the ball as well as your opponent's racket, their body positioning, and their tendencies when they hit certain shots. So an example of this is if you see the opponent leaning back when they're hitting the ball or before they're hitting the ball, and you're the net player in doubles, this is an excellent time to poach because the opponent will naturally be hitting a defensive shot. They'll be leaning back, so uh, they won't be able to put 
their weight into the ball. So another example is if you see the opponent with an open racket face where they're going to be likely to be hitting a slice, this is once again an excellent time to poach because the ball will be traveling much slower. And I see this happen a lot in, in doubles. I execute the same play and I've actually had people execute this play against me to where if I'm in a defensive position in the, on the baseline, and I open my racket face on the backhand side, a lot of times uh, good net players, aggressive ones, are going to be poaching. And sometimes I counter that by slicing down the line because they have committed and they're moving to poach and then you... Uh, you pass them. But that's an excellent time to, to move as well. And again, so this is a, a byproduct of paying attention to your opponent and what they're doing and their racket. Another uh, tell here is if the opponent is tossing the ball over their head at the 11 or 12 o'clock position when they're serving, and this is for right-handers, of course, reverse this for lefties, uh, then that person, your opponent, will probably be hitting a topspin serve, which generally goes to the T on the do side or out wide on the add side. So right there, you can easily anticipate where the ball is going to go on the serve. Another tip to help you anticipate is you'll want to give your opponent different types of balls in the warm-up to see what shots they hit. Because of course, certain players react differently to different shots. And if you can actually pay attention, and this is why the warm-up is so important, if you can pay attention to what kind of ball your opponent hits in certain situations in the warm-up when there aren't any points being scored, then that's going to help you very much in the match time to tell what they're going to be doing. Let's say you give them some slices that are low to the ground and then they tend to slice back, then you know, okay, they're most likely going to be slicing back and not driving the ball. So things like that will help you to understand what they're likely to do in the match. Another tip for anticipation, this is kind of delving more into the footwork side, but it really helps you anticipate, is to split step right before your opponent hits the ball. Because this way your body is in prime position and balanced to move to the ball. Because I see this constantly in uh, lower level play where players, when they're playing, they're not split stepping right before their opponent is hitting the ball. And I mean, I just actually did this just to triple confirm this. I was watching some tennis and slowed down the video to half speed on YouTube, which I think you can go as low as 0.25. And so that's kind of a side tip to just click the gearbox on any YouTube video and you can slow down the speed. But I did that and I think it was a Djokovic versus Federer match. But every time that either of them hit the ball, right before their opponent hit the ball, they'd be split stepping. So that's just confirming how important the split step is because then you'll be in great position to move to either side of the court or wherever you need to be. So in sum, as far as a tip on how you can anticipate and intercept where the ball is going to be, pay attention to your, to the ball on the other side of the net, where it is at, is it high, is it low? And also arguably even more importantly, pay attention to your opponent and where their racket is, their balance, their positioning, things like that. So excellent question from Dennis. I really appreciate that one. The second question that we're going to tackle today is from Kevin, a 4-0 player. And Kevin says, I am the parent of a teenager who plays competitively. It's hard to get him motivated 
to become more fit, to work out, to run, etc. He'll play tennis 24-7, but doesn't see the benefit to the hard work on fitness. How do we get him to put down the iPad and iPhone or Android, if you're an Android person, to spend that extra hour or so per day to get to the next level of fitness? Kevin, thanks for the excellent question. First off, I want to repeat a famous quote from Alistair McCaw, who I've had on the podcast and my summits before. And he said, if you don't make time for fitness now, you'll have to make time for the physio table later, Uh, which basically means if you don't invest in your body uh, and your health and your fitness now and your flexibility, then later on you're going to be injured and on a table being worked on by a PT or someone similar. So I have a few suggestions for your son or really this applies to anybody who is not devoting adequate time to fitness. So the first tip is to have your teenager or anyone who doesn't realize how important fitness is to watch fitness videos of some of the pros because I think that's really motivating. You know, sometimes you need that external motivation and, and to watch other people who have achieved great things to see what they're doing so that you can be motivated to do the same thing. And so again, watch fitness videos of the pros to see how hard they work on their fitness. And if you go to tennisfalls.com slash 75, I'll have a link on the show notes page, which is on that page that I linked you to just now, of Roger's fitness video, which I love. He's on the court with, I believe, he's French fitness trainer, but he takes him through a series of different uh, fitness drills, uh, warm-ups, and other, uh, I mean, you know, obviously a lot of different exercises uh, to get Roger more fit. So I'll link to that uh, at tennisfiles.com slash 75 along with all the other links that I mentioned on the show today. So watch Roger's fitness video and others on YouTube, which you can obviously search for easily. Also have your son or anybody read about the importance of fitness uh, through articles. And uh, there's also going to be a link on the page that I just mentioned regarding pro tennis players and how their increased focus on fitness are prolonging their careers. I hope you enjoy that read. It's definitely a great one. Uh, I believe it's uh, from the Washington Post. And so now let's let's go through a few reasons why fitness is so important so you can kind of communicate that to your son, Kevin. Fitness is so important because firstly, it prevents injuries, gets the body stronger, more flexible, uh, more fit, as well increase performance on the court. So you'll have better movement, better speed, uh, more power and endurance. And all this means that you will be winning more and that you can play longer on the court. And related to that is longevity. As I mentioned from that Washington Post article, you'll be able to play the game much uh, longer in your life. Imagine yourself putting a consistent effort into your fitness training and you being able to play all your life versus not putting that effort into your training and then being too weak or you know not not being able to withstand the constant pounding of of playing tennis and then one day you get injured and then you won't be able to play you'll have a prolonged absence from the game or it'll be you know god forbid a permanent injury where you can't even play tennis which has happened to a lot of people so that would end your career playing tennis i mean isn't it worth it to invest a little bit of time in your fitness so that you can play all your life 
Uh, I, I certainly think so. So you can definitely enjoy the game longer if you're more fit and not injured. And fitness includes a lot of things. I mean, it, it includes stretching, which is extremely important. You know, your dynamic stretches before playing tennis and then your stretching, aesthetic stretching afterwards, your recovery, including sleep and, of course, stretching. Uh, your footwork is a huge part of your fitness. Uh, mobility exercises so that you have that range of motion. A strength training in the weight room or with bands or any other weights, kettlebells, etc. And really the best thing that your son can do, Kevin, and you as well, is to find a tennis fitness coach, preferably one certified by the International Tennis Performance Association, the ITPA. Uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs and Mary Jo Kovacs do a great job. Uh, and I'm actually certified through that organization as well. But if you can find somebody certified by the ITPA, that would be amazing. But even if you can't, you know, just find somebody who is both a good fitness coach and deals with tennis players so that they know the needs, uh, what the needs are specifically from tennis players because uh, different sports require different things. So you want to make sure that your fitness coach is well-versed in the sport of tennis and understands it. And also remember that the type of fitness program that, that one does is very important. So even if your son, Kevin, learns about the importance of fitness and is ready to go, you can't just do any weight program or any sort of fitness program. You actually want to figure out what exercises are going to optimize your performance on the court and then do those. And also, you need to understand the importance of technique when you're training your fitness because, for example, lifting weights with the wrong technique or doing the wrong exercises can actually hinder your tennis performance. So you want to consult that tennis fitness expert. You also can download my tennis fitness workout guide to get an idea of what exercises to perform to develop your strength power, endurance, and performance on the court. And you can do that at tennisfiles.com slash workout plan. And that will also uh, be linked on the show notes page. One other really important piece of advice here is that if you have your, your child go from no fitness to one hour a day, as you mentioned in your, in your question, Kevin, that's going to be really tough to keep up consistently. You know, going from nothing to an hour a day, uh, or even an hour every other day. That's still quite a bit. Um, if you, you, you've never done fitness uh, before as far as training fitness for tennis or, or at all. So it's much better to start off with small time periods, you know, something super manageable that you have no excuse for not being able to do to accomplish, let's say 20 or 30 minutes, three to four times a week and then work up from there. Because it's much easier to start off with less time and that way you'll be able to make it a habit and ingrain it that you're setting aside that time so that you go you know, four to three times a week, four times a week at that manageable 20 to 30 minutes uh, and work on your fitness. And then you can increase it from there. So by the time that the, the habit of doing it um, consistently is built in, then you can increase that time. And I think I brought this up before in previous episodes, but you know, I just want to mention the story of um, the person who hates to floss, right? So then their friend said, you know what, just start by flossing one tooth a day, which is ridiculously easy. And then eventually that person was able to floss all their teeth every day. You know, they built that momentum. So that's that's a tip to get your son to build that momentum and then keep it going and, and work on their fitness. 
fitness. So appreciate that that question, Kevin. Uh, definitely a great one. It's it's super important to get fit. And also one other last um, piece of advice too that I've been trying to implement more is tracking. So when you train your fitness, you want to track it. So it's super easy these days. I mean, I recommend going on Google Sheets and creating a simple spreadsheet with uh, with the workouts that you're doing. Keep keep track of the exercises, the sets, and the reps, the resistance level or weights used and track that progress. And if you can, you know, try to increase the weight a little bit each as necessary. But again, consult a coach and track what you're doing. Because if you're not tracking, then you're not improving and you have no idea where you are. So don't forget that as well. All right. Question number three is from Kay, a 3.5 player. Kay says, my biggest problem at this time is reacting to incoming balls. It takes me too long to get into position and to decide on what shot to use. The extra half second or so for me to get going is a difference between hitting a good shot or just trying to get the ball back over. And so because we talked about reacting and anticipating in question number one, I want to focus here on the second part of the question, I believe, which is about deciding on what shot to use. And well, actually, before I talk about that, I want to add a couple more things that might help you, Kay. And first off, I want to ask you the question of are you split spe- are you split stepping right before your opponent hits the ball every time? And as I mentioned earlier, I see a lot of amateur players not split stepping properly. Um, but to add to that, uh, here's some some things you can do to train um, that that reaction time that split stepping. You can buy what's called a reaction ball, which I'll link uh, at the show notes page again at tennisfiles.com/slash/seventy-five, and you can use that to sharpen your reaction. When you drop the ball, you don't know which way the ball is going to bounce due to the texture and shape of the ball. So if you can just have a friend or somebody that you know stand a couple feet in front of you and drop the ball, and then you know right before it hits the ground, you split step, and then you move towards the ball in whatever uh, direction it goes and to retrieve it and repeat that a few times, I think that's going to do... Uh, a great service for your reaction time. And similarly, even if you don't have a reaction ball, you'll, you'll of course own a few tennis balls, I hope. So what you can do and what I do with my friend Victor every so often is a, in the gym is that you can have your friend or coach stand, let's say about five to six feet in front of you with two balls and have your friend or that person roll the ball in a random direction so you won't obviously won't know which where where the ball is going to go and then you have to split step and get the ball back retrieve the ball rather and then roll it back to that individual so do this 10 times rest 60 seconds and repeat for three sets and that's going to be a fantastic workout and you can vary your footwork that you use uh, when you retrieve the balls you know you can do side steps or crossovers um, different different uh, footwork techniques Uh, as well uh, on that drill. All right, so now on to deciding what shot to use. So this skill, of course, gets better, the skill of deciding what shot to use. It gets better with both practice and planning and time. And I'm not sure, Kay, if there's specific shots you're struggling with, but let's try to set some simple parameters to simplify the game. So to help your decision-making, if you're facing a deep ball, the goal should be to hit it back deep and cross court. 
uh, preferably with some top spin. And, you know, the main reason for this is because it's harder to change the direction of the ball to down the line when the ball uh, is, is, is deep like that. And I mean, it's just, it's just a much easier and safer ball. The net is lower uh, in the middle of course. And another parameter is that if the ball is at the service line or shallower, then you want to attack and hit the ball down the line. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. So these are general rules that I think are, are very easy to follow. You know, if, if the ball is deep and you can't attack cross court and deep, if the ball is shorter, approach the net and hit the ball down the line and attack. So that being said, if you're playing an opponent that has an obvious weakness, you know, say their backhand tends to break down or their forehand tends to break down, then go to that weakness so for example, you know, if, if you're approaching, if you have a short ball, maybe you actually approach cross court. And, and again, this is if you know that, that the stroke uh, of your opponent's going to break down, that's when you do something like this. Another rule here for you is if, if you're scrambling for the ball, you're on the run, uh, the best shot for you is to hit it back deep cross court or to hit a lob. And at the 3-5 level, I mean, I had a block time. Uh, block time is basically just booking courts for a season or for several months and getting a good rate with a group of people. Um, so every couple of Sundays, I practice uh, down in Columbia at a tennis club. And of course, there's different levels surrounding our court. And so at the 3-5 level, when when players are in trouble, oftentimes the smart ones, at least, are they hit at a deep lob, and it doesn't even have to be that deep, but it'll be amazingly effective for resetting the point because three fives uh, and and four o's too really usually aren't going to be able to put away a floating ball if it's deep enough. So. I definitely recommend either a, a deep cross-court shot or a, a decent lob when you're on the run. That pretty much covers the majority of the types of different shots that you're going to encounter and what you should do with them. So I hope that those parameters uh, help. And, and really, I mean, just don't forget that if you can hit deep cross-court balls consistently, especially at the 3-5 level and you're fit, you're going to win 90% of the time. So that's really pretty much the game. I, I remember back in college, uh, my, my college tennis coach at UMBC, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, Keith Perrier, who I interviewed on way back on episode two of the Tennis Files podcast. He would always tell me and the, our, my teammates, uh, we played Division One tennis against some, some really tough teams. Uh, if we were struggling, he would say, back to the basics. And what I just mentioned were the basics. Deep cross court, deep cross court, as much as you can. If you get a short ball, attack down the line to the net. Those are the basics right there. So if you can execute those, you're going to be really successful. 
few other parameters. Well, one I just mentioned, but again, it'll serve you well to find the weakness and go to it if there is a glaring one. Uh, otherwise, hit deep cross court and then volley into the open court because I, I know you're probably thinking of what to do when you get a volley. So I would I would recommend you volley into the open court if it's there. However, if you're playing a fast player who tends to track down balls really quickly, then you might want to hit the volley behind them. So I hope that these parameters that I listed here for UK will help you with your decision making and I'm sure there's other different shots that you're probably thinking of that perhaps I didn't cover and if so just feel free to email me at mirban at tennisfiles.com which is m-e-h-r-b-a-n at tennisfiles.com and thanks again for that question Kay. All right question number four is from Harlan a 3-5 player. Harlan said still struggling with my forehand top slash drive after all these years plus return of serve is one of my weakest shots and doubles. I can chip slice lob, which is my safest and most consistent option, but certainly would feel better if I could be better with my forehand. So I'll, I'll pose a couple tips for you, Harlan, and hopefully one or more will apply to you. So first off, how would you rate your arm looseness um, on a scale of 1 to 10? Because what I notice is in many cases, players are not able to hit penetrating and or topspin drives because their arms are simply just too tight. And this applies to the back can, the serve, volleys, really anything. Because being too tight hinders the transfer of power from your hips and shoulders, and it also hinders the follow-through. Sometimes you get this sort of uh, chicken arm type of follow-through where it's uh, not lengthy at all. It's super short, and that's because your arm looseness is not there. So that's one thing to be aware of and to try to improve upon. Another question here for you, Harlan, and and others out there who are struggling with the same issue here uh, with your forehand top slash drive is, are you finishing the swing. Many players who struggle with hitting, driving, or to- and or topspin forehands are not finishing their strokes. Jeff Salzenstein, who was on the last episode, episode 74 of the Tennis Files podcast, and was also on episode 28, he is huge on finishing your stroke. And the thing with that is that finishing properly tends to autocorrect other deficiencies in your strokes. Trust me that, I mean, that's that's what I found, uh, and that's what, what Jeff has espoused and, and a lot of other uh, top coaches espouse as well. So <clears throat> to help your finish, practice hitting the ball and then catching your racket somewhere around your opposite shoulder. Uh, this will definitely help your follow through quite a bit as well as, and I'll talk about this in a, in a bit as well for the uh, developing more drive, or I guess I'll talk about that now. So another tip here, forehand top spin slash drive is, uh, another question rather is, are you rotating your hips and shoulders enough? And you have to do this if you want sufficient pop and spin on your shots, because that's where all really most of the power comes from, your hip and your shoulders. You you have to be rotating those. And then once they're coiled, then you can release all that energy into the ball. And if you can't rotate your hips and shoulders for any reason, you want to work on your flexibility if that's an issue. Another way to work on your rotation of your hips and shoulders uh, from a technical standpoint is to use uh, medicine balls and practice medicine ball throws um, either on a wall or with a partner. Medicine ball throws are an excellent drill for training your forehand as well as your backhand and even your serve technique. 
So that that will help. Uh, it's really a great tool. And I can link to um, Medicine Balls uh, on the show notes page as well. So here's some drills to develop more power and spin on your forehand. Tip here is to walk up to the net and then swing as, as such so that you are brushing up and then barely grazing your frame on the uh, top of the net. And so what this does is this trains brushing up on the ball, which will help you hit more topspin. Another drill, and this one is more to develop hitting through the ball, is to pretend that you're hitting through three balls, not just one. And when you're forced to swing through three balls, even though they're imaginary, just, you know, stick with me here. This will improve your forehand drive um, because you're being forced to hit through the ball more, uh, through multiple balls, and it, it works really well. You're not going to be brushing up too much because, of course, there's always a, a happy middle, middle ground with things, so you don't want to be brushing up excessively to the point where you're hitting balls short. So you want to both brush up but also make sure to hit through the ball um, if you want to hit both a powerful and topspin drive. You can also look at what grips are using, uh, Harlan, because it is more difficult, although definitely doable, to hit topspin with an Eastern grip. So if you are having some trouble with the topspin portion of your question, you can experiment shifting your grip a little bit towards a semi-Western, move it a little bit at a time. It's certainly not easy to change grips, but it can be worth it in many cases. So you might want to consider changing your grip in, in the case that you use an Eastern grip. Above all, you need to believe and know that you can hit a solid forehand topspin drive. I know you can do it, Harlan, and it's just a matter of consistently practicing the concepts I mentioned as well as uh, seeking out a coach if you can. Uh, well, I know you can, so uh, look for a coach because that will help you quite a bit uh, and accelerate your progress there. Question number five, a relatively short one, but a good one from John, uh, 3-5, and John has trouble with hitting the ball on the run and keeping it in play. And the solution to this is a combination of anticipation, body balance, and shot selection. So as a 3-5, as I mentioned previously in the podcast, your chief goal for on-the-run shots should be to hit a neutralizing deep high ball that will get you back into the point. So while a running winner may be tempting, and I don't know if you're doing this, John, or not, going for those is often a very low percentage shot that I'm sure you're most of the time going to be missing. You're not going to be making those shots. So I recommend hitting either a lob or a high looping topspin shot. Also, if you're confident in your slice, that also works as well. And a question for you, John, is are you practicing hitting the ball on the run in your practice? Because it's it's really interesting uh, and, and funny, really, to find out, you know, that a person is having trouble with a shot and the reason is because they're not practicing it. You, know, you see somebody having trouble on their returns and they complain about it. If you ask them, how much are you, you practicing your returns? Usually the answer is not enough. So the same thing here and I, and, and you know, I know players uh, are not practicing the on, the on the run a shot enough. You should do that. I mean, I suggest you either work with a practice partner who can feed you balls let's say you can you can stand in the center hash mark and then your friend can feed you balls where you have you'll have to be on the run and you'll you'll concentrate on hitting a deep topspin ball or lob or 
a defensive slice to get yourself back in the point. Or you can have a coach do that, of course, and give you feedback. Um, or you can even do drills where, let's say, you your partner is on one half of the court and you start in the center and you can only hit to the one side of the court that your partner is on, whereas your partner can hit to either side, which is going to force you to hit many more running shots. Those drills are definitely great. So when it boils down to it, John, you have to get enough reps in during practice and you have to be smart about your shot selection. And as I mentioned too, you have to be balanced um, when you when you get to the ball too, because that might be causing you to hit errant shots. So uh, in that regard, you need to get some feedback from a partner, a coach, or what I really suggest too is uh, really important is to videotape yourself. That that will be very uh, insightful into seeing what you're doing when you're hitting uh, shots on the run or, or other shots. So question number six in our, our special Q&A session here is from Prasad, a 3.5 player. Prasad says, right now, we're not able to deal with a group of egoistic and jealous parents as I overtake many of my peers as far as tennis results are concerned. Egoistic, is that a word? I'm going to have to Google that. But anyways, (laughs) the issue has been flared up more due to bad handling and unprofessional approach of my coach. Oh my God, please help me. All I want is to play my tennis and improve. Don't we all, Prasad? So my advice here is to punch the guy. No, no, that's not what I mean. My advice here is really simple. It's to leave your coach and your club. And I'm serious. I mean, if an environment is toxic, you should just leave. And I think you might have heard this, or at least some of the listeners have, but the classic quote from Jim Rohn, I believe, which is, you are the five people who you surround yourself with the most. And the risk here is that, Well, there's many risks, but one is that obviously these people are mentally draining you. But another risk here is that you may even become like these people because you're surrounded by them. You know, as far as being the five people who you surround yourself with the most, there's an article that I'll link to in the show notes, which you can find once again at tennisfiles.com slash 75, which talks more about this. But again, you don't want to be around a toxic environment. And try to do some research. You know, are there better tennis clubs out there that you can go to, that you can train at um, with more positive people and a better program? What you can still do is find a good coach. Also find a good group of tennis players, both a little bit above your level at the same level and below your level to get a nice variety of uh, practice partners. And then organize weekly practices with those players at local tennis courts, whether indoor or outdoor, and of course, uh, that consistent uh, lessons with, with the coach. And this would be a better solution, in my opinion, than sticking with your current situation. Um, So hopefully this helps you and others out there in similar situations or toxic environments. And I mean, you know, if you absolutely need to stay with your, with this club for some reason, which I really don't think should ever be the case, then, I mean, you really do have to just be concerned with reaching your goals and not be concerned with the people who are toxic and just understand what you need to do to get where you need to be and and write down those goals and and a plan and stick with that plan but again you're better off finding a different coach and a different club and different players to to work with there so the final question that i'm going to address for today and i hope you've been enjoying this episode is from andrea who's a a 2.5 um 
as she mentions, a beginner level. And she mentioned that her biggest challenge is to to learn how to play correctly and non, not gain bad habits because it is harder to relearn the right way once poor technique has been used. In addition, she's also seeking to find somebody to play with who is somewhat on the same level as I. I'll reverse dealing with this question. Uh, I'll deal with the second part first. Um, so there's many different things you can do. You can go to, to uh, tennis clubs, and I'm sure they'll have uh, players like that around you. There's also many different, uh, well, not many different, but there's a few different ways, uh, websites that you can use to find uh, different players uh, at your level. And I'll link to those in the show notes page. And also, I mean, you can use social media as well. Um, Facebook, you'll often actually find tennis groups around your city or county. So try to search for those and you might find out uh, players that way. But those are some tips for trying to find out some some players to play with. And you know, if you're on the beginner level, yeah, I mean, there's, there's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be beginners like you. So, you know, why not just try to find another friend and introduce them to the game and, and say, you know, tell them how fun it would be, which it will be fun and healthy, and then play with them. So the best advice I can give you here, which is actually going to cover both um, is, and you'll see why, is to, to find a coach to ingrain the proper technique from the beginning of your career. As you mentioned, Andrea, once you form a bad habit, it takes a lot of hard work to undo those habits, that habit or those habits. And the alternative to getting a coach, and again, getting a coach is the best uh, solution here. It's really worth the investment. But an alternative to this, or also an addition to this, uh, optimally, is to study books and online information about technique. Uh, but you just have to make sure that you're studying from proven sources of information, um, not some random website with 50 different colors. So, uh, not that I don't like colorful things, but and so obviously, you know, you can find, um, you know, you can find great sources from tennisfiles.com, of course, and also look at people that I've interviewed. I mean, check out their stuff too. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, and I am interviewing, you know, only the best coaches in the world. So those will naturally be the best sources. I try to find ones that have helped me and, and to bring them onto the podcast and also on my tennis summits uh, to check those out. Of course, it's a wealth of information and I'll link to those. So those are, are some tips there for you to make sure your technique is on point from the beginning and also to videotape yourself uh, when I had Ian Westerman from Essential Tennis on the podcast uh, and also on my summits both of them he mentioned the importance of videotaping yourself it's just so huge um, you'll find out things that you never thought you were doing and you probably never find out unless you either had a coach or videotape yourself and also I mean, sometimes even the human eye doesn't catch certain things, as Ian said. So, but with video, you can slow down the video, um, you know, super slow, and then find out, you know, certain things in your technique or movement or footwork or whatnot. So that's a great tip there for you. In my opinion, you know, to me, you should be doing all three. Invest in a coach, and it's an investment. You're, you're. I don't like to think of it as paying for a coach. It's investing because by investing money in a coach, then you're going to be accelerating your progress instead of spending, you know, five years on a stroke. You can get it done and in tip-top shape in a few months. You know, in certain cases. So st get a coach, study tennis on your own, and videotape yourself. Those are three huge uh, pieces of advice to give you here. And 
to find a good coach, you can visit local tennis clubs and ask about the coach, try to do some research into their resume, uh, their career, who they are coaching. When you do those sorts of things, then you're going to find a much better, a much more qualified coach for you. And also, also go to tennisfiles.com slash play your court. That's tennisfiles.com slash P-L-A-Y. Y-O-U-R-C-O-U-R-T, which my friend from Juniors, uh, Scott Baxter, created. And this will help find the right coach for you. Scott actually interviews each coach. And what you do is you go on the website, you answer a few questions about your playing background, and then you instantly get search results on pros that match you in your area, which is really cool. And another tip too, in case, you know, for whatever reason you're, um, you know, can't uh, afford a private uh, coach, private lessons. I know they sometimes are expensive depending on what area you live in. A cheaper alternative is to a private coaching is to get group coaching. So you can still benefit a lot from that and learn with a group, preferably, you know, a, a few, a small number instead of like a huge class, but you can even make do with that. And the important thing here is to ask the coach questions that you need answered because you know, you have to seek out the coach and ask them, you know, how to improve certain things. You know, if you stay silent, then they're just going to be teaching concepts that they want to teach or that other people ask them, which you'll still learn a lot, but it's better to maximize the value is to ask those coaches questions in the group sessions. That's it for Q&A here. I really hope that you enjoyed and learned something from this Q&A format. And if you enjoyed this Q&A format, please let me know by email me at mirabon at tennisfiles.com or leaving a comment on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use to listen to the show. But yeah, I mean, emailing works. And if you like this Q&A format, then I'll do more of them. So please let me know. And if you don't give me any feedback, uh, then I'll know that you hate me talking and you hate my Q&A. No, no I, I won't assume that. I'll, I'll think positive. Glass half full, right? So I appreciate you listening to this one. Uh, and I also would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast to get each episode automatically downloaded to your podcast app of choice. And this would also benefit everybody as well as the podcast. It would give more visibility to people because it would be higher in the search results. At least that's what uh, the iTunes gurus tell me anyway. But I'd also like to leave you with a quote as I often like to do at the end of a show. And the quote for today is by Walt Disney. And he said, the way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. I love that quote. Uh, it's about taking action. And I highly encourage you to take action and implement one of the tips that you learned today on the podcast and to let me know how that goes for you in a few weeks or so. So with that, I really do appreciate you listening to the Tennis Files podcast. And I hope that you like this question and answer format. And thank you to everybody who submitted questions and who informed me about their biggest challenge that they're having in their tennis game. It helps me better understand your needs so that I can help you. And it helps everybody because your question is someone else's question. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Tennis Files podcast, and I'll see you on the next one. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.